Welcome to I Hate It Here, the podcast for HR and people professionals, making the hardest job in the world just a little bit easier. I'm Hibi Youssef. We are here for another episode of HR Therapy to talk about stress and well-being. Um, and I have a panel of brilliant folks joining me today, and they're all going to introduce themselves shortly. So without further ado, here's our cast. Unfortunately, Yen is not joining us today. They couldn't make it. Um, they weren't feeling well. So just so sorry, and we hope to see you next time. But I will hand to Amanda, and she will start the introductions. Hi, everyone. My name is Amanda Halley. My pronouns are she, her. I am the founder of a um, consulting practice called People Tech Guru, which I started about two years ago that's focused on fractional people roles and high-impact development programs. Uh, prior to that, I'd spent about 15 years working across tech operation, people, leadership development, um, and community building for companies like Google and Medium and Life Labs Learning. I am a dog mom. I am a New Jersey resident, former New Yorker, uh, an only child of divorced parents, was raised by a single mom. And um, I'm also the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. Those are a few things just about me to upset. Amazing. I love that. We're trying to make an effort to tell you personal things about us because we don't want to just focus on the work us because there's a real us outside of here. Absolutely. I'm up next. Hello, everyone. I'm Jackie Kwaku. It's like Jackie, but with a CH. Pretend there's a silent R in there. If there is a silent R in there. Uh, I am the program manager of Change at Work at the Predictive Index. Uh, Change at Work is our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging program. I have spent a career in workforce development, serving and advocating for young adults um, from underrepresented communities. I am really passionate about creating conditions in which every person feels valued at work and has adequate resources to thrive and succeed. I am a nature lover. I love being outdoors. I love taking photos. I love my plants. I am a plant mom to about 75 houseplants at the moment. Um, and I'm basically yeah, um, trying to reduce them, but I can't help. Um, I like to propagate them. Anyway, I am also, uh, I am born and raised in Brooklyn. I say spread love the Brooklyn way is the best way to spread love. And I'm happy to be here. Yay, thank you for joining us today. That's so many plans. More on that later. It's a lot of plans. I was going to say, how do you keep them all alive? <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to water and make sure you have the right schedule. So yeah, it's an effort. Different than childcare, though. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Jomana Elbany. Pronouns are she, her. I am a Lebanese Canadian that recently traded the cold Canadian winters for the sunny SoCal weather, thanks to remote work. Although I'm not really sure what's happening with all this rain and I was promised a year-round town tan that I'm waiting for. I am a strategic global people leader uh, that has shaped cultures in the tech, fitness, and retail world. If there's an industry I haven't touched yet, I'm sure I will get to it. And when I'm not being um, HR superwoman, as I would like to self-proclaim, I usually spend my time disrupting the HR industry, um, supporting women advancement in the fitness industry, and surfing and hiking the highest peaks I can find. Wow. You're so active. And you were recently in like Peru hiking there too, right? Yes, much too. Love that. I am just a novice. I'm Hiba. Yen, I, I mentioned Yen can't join us today, uh, but I'm Hiba. My pronouns are she, her. I am the chief people officer at Workweek, as well as the founder and creator of the lovely brand I Hated Here, which is actually focused all on how to make workplaces amazing so that your employees don't say they hate it there. Um, I've gotten some feedback recently where folks are like, that's kind of a negative approach to it. And I'm like, or you, or it's the optimistic approach to it, really, because I'm a lifelong optimist. Um, outside of work, I like to read a lot. 
I made it a goal last year to read like one book a week. I got that done. Um, and I like to spend time with my family and friends. I play a lot of board games with my husband. And I've recently started playing more video games, which I'm really bad at. So if you're ever wondering what I'm doing in my free time, it's usually shouting at the TV because I'm not good at any of them. Um, it's a real test to my patience. So that's a little bit about me. Let's keep going and dive into our topic today, which is stress and well-being. So this slide kind of covers off my level viewpoint on what is stress and well-being. And so the definition of stress is really any change that causes physical, emotional, or psychological strain. And spoiler alert, we all experience stress. But the way we respond to it is different, and that's what actually impacts our well-being. And some stats that I found really interesting about stress when I dove deeper into what do we actually know about it, it says 83% of U.S. employees suffer from workplace stress, which I'm not surprised. I would say I'm I'm somewhat stressed on any given day. About a million Americans miss work a day because of stress. And the last note, which is why I think we're here today on Valentine's Day, a day devoted to love in your hearts, is that stress actually impacts your physical well-being and stressed employees spend more on healthcare. Stress can contribute to things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, heart disease, anxiety, panic attacks, lots of impacts of stress. We all also felt deeply passionate about that impact on well-being that we made it our topic today. So without further ado, my favorite segment, dear me and all my friends, Amanda, Charky, and Damana, we have our first question. What do you think causes employees the most amount of stress? That is a loaded question. <laughs> but I'm going to jump in here because yeah, we're being real. Let's Let's be real. It's been a hard three years. And really, tell me a time that has, you know, that's worse than a pandemic followed by a great resignation, followed by economic crash, along with all the, you know, chaos and unfortunate events. You, I, I really can't think of a, a harder three years that everyone has had to go through personally and professionally. And the recent economic shifts have left no industry untouched. And everyone's really looking around, worrying, worried about what's coming down the pipeline. But as they are, organizations are reacting and restructuring from layoffs to organizational shifts to redirection in strategy, budget cuts, you name it, it's wreaking havoc on cultures, um, but also on employee health. We are doing more with less, if with any resources. Workloads are becoming borderline unbearable for a lot of folks. People are overworked and burning out. If they weren't already burnt out from the pandemic and just plowing through everything right now and on top of it, they have to worry about job security. And from you know everyone I speak to, whether it's friends, colleagues in the network, HR professionals, uh, it's the biggest stressor that they're seeing for employees out there right now. And I think that compounds to create like the conditions that happen actually at work, which is like there's a lack of certainty, right, about roles, about goals, about performance, lack of autonomy and ability to like kind of own things lack of like meaning it's hard to find like your actual like what your work actually like means for the organization lack of like progress ability to like make progress lack of like social inclusion and relationships and i think like that acronym is actually from life lab learning which is camps all of those like certainty autonomy meaning progress social inclusion and i think like that those create engagement and so the opposite of that is like stress right and i think so all of the things that Joanna said compound and create these conditions that work where we are like 
and more stressed. Absolutely. I, I just add that you know, we have a lot going on and and being able to come to work and be able to share, I'm stressed or I'm not feeling well, not being comfortable or feeling like it's you're safe enough to even admit that adds a whole other layer of stress to to your life, right? So, you know, if you're dealing with something outside of work or you're trying to deal with all the challenges going on in the world, um, the chaos, whether it's earthquakes, whether it's mass shootings, and you want to show up and you just have to pretend that everything is okay, that's going to add additional stress. And if that's not a safe place and you don't have that safety or the sense of belonging, um, that's that definitely will contribute as well. Absolutely agree with everything you all are saying. It's interesting. The chat has a lot of common themes where a lot of people are pointing out like bad management and psychological safety. And that is so important because if you cannot feel safe telling your manager, I am stressed out, or they take that stress and use it against you. It's something I see happens quite a bit where someone says, oh, I don't think they're capable because they can't handle the stress. And the real question is, what are you doing to properly and adequately adjust their bandwidth so they don't feel that stress? Managers, I feel bad because I hate on them quite a bit, but like managers, if you are here and you have direct reports, like creating a space where your direct reports say, hey, I'm really stressed out or I'm not doing well today, is just massively important for like the psychological safety of your team and the comfort and their well-being. Um, And so with that, Oh, someone put a good note in reminding to take care of yourself as HR. Um, I actually mentioned this, like the team and I got on the call a little bit early to chat through what we were talking about today. And one of the things I mentioned is I feel stress as like an HR leader about forgetting all the things that are causing other people stress. So it's like I'm trying to be as empathetic as possible as a leader to like all our employees. But then I end up spending all this time stressing about am I forgetting an experience or a perspective that I might not have? And so as HR leaders, like I think that's a big challenge for us. Like we have to manage our own stress, but we also deal with the stress of the executive team, all the managers and all the employees. And so keeping ourselves sane in all of this, hopefully we give you some good tips today but just know that I, too, am trying to deal with my own stress because I, I think about this every day and I'm constantly reading the news and wondering, like, how can I better support my employees? And that's like really tiring for me as well. Next question, which is perfect. The nice segue. How do you support stressed employees? I think it, just to piggyback on what you were saying, I think that it's like, how are you vulnerable, right? Like, I think managers and all of us have to be vulnerable first, right? And say that we're stressed, right? Because we're all stressed. I didn't give managers pretend like they're not stressed and they're not under all the same pressures that everyone else is, that that we're not going to create like that psychological safety, which I think is a huge piece. I think like from a like pretty practical standpoint, thinking about like consistency, consistency, I think it's so important to really make sure that people have consistent like one-on-ones and are consistently getting feedback and like those things just like showing up. That like in and of itself is going to help people to feel more safe and less stressed. Um, and I think being as clear as possible, right? Like clear is kind. And so all of the things I had mentioned before, um, I think, you know, as long as you, if you can create clear goals and um, clear progression, those things are going to help people to feel less stress. Um, and I think building in norms and practices that support wellness and mental health like meditation and, and social connection times and humor even, right? Like I think laughing is one of the biggest ways to decrease stress. So like create ways for people to laugh every day. 
and hobbies the last one right everyone like has hobbies and like give people time to like be able to practice those hobbies and be creative because that like creativity also decreases stress amanda i love that you said consistency it's that spot on consistency consistency in having a people first culture so that we're giving our employees the grace to be human and also having that opportunity to have the consistency of feedback so that if there's a comfort level of bringing something up that it's not that's a norm. So we're navigating and problem solving together versus letting it build up. And so if you have those consistencies in the conversations and that, that you build that trust amongst a team, among between a manager and a direct report to really have that psychological safety, um, to bring things up and to just be human and remember that we, we're all human and we all need to give each other grace to pause and take a break and come back. So I think having that mentality of just like, all right, we're in a moment. It's okay. Take a pause. Do what you need that's best for you so that you can come back and be productive in your actual job. You can't be productive. Like, let's not fool ourselves and say that we can be productive when you have a million things going on. It's just unrealistic. And we have this norm that it's fine. You'll just push through it. It's not possible always to push through it. We can only be productive for three to four hours a day. Just throwing that one in there. I love, Amanda, that you opened up with the vulnerability piece because. When employees are stressed, they're going to hold back and that's going to impact, you know, them asking for help, them admitting mistakes. Uh, They're not going to raise their hand. They're not going to suggest ideas. It's going to hold them back in a lot more ways than just personally. And I think that is something that is constantly overlooked by leadership is how that impacts them in the workplace and that, that it's important that we normalize that I don't know culture and support that, but also give employees that voice and a liberal pathway to leadership, to provide feedback, to encourage conversation, to share concerns. So that all really um, just ties back together. Like what's not said causes stress. And it's like the, like, you know, Jackie, what you said, you know, the more there's consistency and and you have someone to go to, right? Like you, this conversation will create an opportunity to like say what you would potentially not say. On the note of like what employees don't know causes them stress, I think about this so often. Internal communication has just become something that has become HR's responsibility. And it's because like we're apparently the people that know best how to communicate these things to employees that might cause them stress. But I find that a lot of teams struggle with that because they are like, what do I communicate? When is the right time? Is this going to stress them out? Should I announce departure? Should I not announce the departure? Like there's also a lot there. But I think like as much as possible, if we as people leaders can almost over communicate even the simplest things, the why, why we are doing this thing, then kind of creates a space for your employees to be like, okay, they're not doing this because of X, Y, and Z. I know exactly why they're doing it, especially in the time of like layoffs and it filling the news every day, being as open and honest as you can with your employees on like, what is the state of our funding or the state of our our money in the bank and how do we make sure that we're protecting all of your jobs will be really important. I also love that someone called out in the chat that they felt that the like offering an EAP can be a cop out. And so like my response there is I think offering it is great, but it can't be the only thing you offer. You can't rely fully on that. And you should remind your employees that an EAP is confidential. Somebody also mentioned that they get feedback from their employees that they're free to use it but it is quite confidential if you're offering it. There's no way we as HR leaders can actually know who who is using the benefit and who is not. So that's just one reminder. We're getting so much good conversation 
in the chat. I'm almost like, I wish I was in the chat every day. So that's a little bit on supporting our stressed employees. We have lots of great people sharing resources about the seven types of rest. I love that. So our next question is, what benefits can companies provide to support employees dealing with their stress? It's still mind-boggling to me how many organizations still require an approval process for time off. And I think having a flexible time off policy with, I'm going to say, little to almost no barriers to accessing is so important, but also in combination with that psychological safety, an environment that allows them to feel no guilt taking time off when they need it. The amount of times in my long career that I felt so scared to request a half day off for like an appointment or a session with my therapist or just to breathe is a whole other level of anxiety I did not need on top of the time off that I did. So I love seeing organizations that are adapting unlimited time off with no approval process for, you know, let's say under two weeks. That really gives employees the freedom and sense of like, it's okay to just take time off when you need it and not have to worry about needing to justify that to the leadership, I think is a, is a great benefit. So I think it's important to stress that just having unlimited time off is not, not the solution, but empowering them as well and also reducing that barriers to accessing it is important. One note on unlimited PTO, though, a lot of times it's a scam. Sorry, that is just my hot take. I'm coming in fire. You have to require your, your team to take minimums. So if you're going to give like 200 hours a year or you're going to give a week, a quarter, make sure your team is taking that week. And also as managers, we have to ask them how we can help take vacation because you're right. Like the, the fear of what's going to happen to the work. Like I go out on vacation tomorrow and someone literally asked me today, what are we going to do if you're not here for a week? And I was like, we will figure it out. Like <laughs> It is not the end of the world. We're doing great. So that is just a reminder, like a lot of us fear taking vacation because of the work, but that in itself, we can't be productive 100% of the time. We need to have time off to recharge and refill our cups. Make sure to re report and record, like, who is actually taking the vacation? Are they taking the time off? And are they doing it on a consistent basis and for enough time to unplug? Because when you're going to come back, we all know there's going to be lots of emails and lots of work to catch up on and that stress in itself, right? So if you only are taking a week vacation and you spend the first like three days trying to unwind and decompress, you're probably going to spend the last two days of that week getting preparing for your return. Um, so I just appreciate that. On top of that, I think inclusive benefits that are flexible and acknowledge that what everybody's needs are different. When we think about unlimited PTO, that's great having a holiday schedule that is flexible so that people don't have to take their PTO for a religious holiday that that is not recognized across the organization. We all have different needs. And so I think that's the part of the flexibility. So without those restrictions is ideal. Obviously, that's not possible for all organizations, but I, I really um, meeting people for what their needs are and not having a one size fits all. I think too, like just boundaries, right? Like we all need to set boundaries for ourselves, but like companies also need to think about like what boundaries they can set internally and what like guidelines and norms they can create. Because I've worked for a company where I, this is a partly my own problem, but like that I would get an email at three o'clock in the morning and I see it. Right. And that immediately like causes panic, like had a panic attack because of it. Right. I think this is, it's like, I've worked for places where you communicate between nine and six like these are 
ideal scenario, but if there's a way to have some type of middle ground and for your company to have a perspective on when communication can happen, when emails are sent or, you know, when Slack is used, like creating those kinds of like boundaries are, can be like a game changer uh, for employees and how stress is felt. Delayed delivery is something that we should all embrace. Um, <laughs> instead of having it sent at that 9 p.m., we and just schedule until 8.30 the next morning. That yeah. does a huge difference, a world of difference to creating that culture that we're all protecting our time and our space and having those boundaries. So, Amanda, I love that you said that boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. I'm horrible at reading them myself, so I love what other people do that. Uh, <laughs> it's my, my area. I also need to learn it. I was just thinking, like, I, I joke about this a lot, but, like, recovering hustle culture person over here where I feel like I have to be on 24 out of 24 hours of the day and I have to respond to the slack the second I get it. And I've been trying to, like, train myself not to do it, to, like, really be clear about, like, I am off for the night. You can get a response to this at 9 a.m. tomorrow and between 6 and 9 tomorrow, like, nothing major is going to happen if I don't respond right now. But just, I, like, you'll, I feel the pressure. It's like stop catastrophizing it for yourself. It's going to yes. make you have to ask yourself, what is the worst thing that's going to happen if I don't answer until tomorrow? I, I think that we we like make these stories up and tell ourselves yeah. something crazy things and, that will happen. Yeah. And I mean, especially like as a woman and a person who identifies as a person of color, I feel like I have to hold myself to a higher standard sometimes than other people. And so like with that higher standard comes a thought in my head, like, do I deserve boundaries? And the reality is I do. But I have to like unlearn the bad behavior that got me to where I am. That has been passed down from generations from generations. Uh, mm-hmm. I totally appreciate that as a daughter of two immigrants. It's the hustle culture. You never say no. You never stop because that means that there's an opportunity that's going to go by and you're going to lose that opportunity. So say yes to everything. Yeah. There are no boundaries. So, uh, yep. Taught also daughter of immigrant parents who are like, you got got to work really hard. <laughs> like. It's really it's tough here. It's really tough. Like you got to unlearn a lot of that. And so like that's just something to think about too is like HR people, the example we set, it trickles through the entire organization. So your employees are looking at your C-suite and especially your HR people and they're looking at the behaviors and those behaviors, ultimately your employees end up mirroring. So if you are constantly answering things late, doing things in the morning, asking people to break their boundaries, they're going to start behaving that way too. So death to the hustle culture. But also, I, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that funny meme where it's like this person comes back from vacation and they just delete all the emails and they say like, well, if it's important, someone will email me again. I aspire to get to that level. <laughs> I will have known I made it. <laughs> when I can just delete every email I get on a vacation and just wait for someone to re-email me again. <laughs> Thanks for the follow-up. I could help it. So we just chatted a few benefits that we think can really help companies support employees dealing with their stress. But the next thing is, I kind of want to know, how do all of you deal with your stress? I was joking with everyone earlier that I woke up this morning very stressed. I was like, okay, I'm on a panel about stress and well-being and I'm stressed. What am I going to do? And so I had to practice what I what I preach. And so I, first of all, sit in it and own it and not try and just push past it. So I have to acknowledge I'm stressed and take a moment to kind of figure out the root cause because whatever is probably the stressing me is a little bit deeper down and not the surface layer of my first response. I am a big, I love music. So 
what I just did before this was blast some Beyonce, some Renaissance, and um, very loud, and watered my plants and was able and did a little cleaning to clear the clutter in my physical space, which also cleared the clutter in my mind for me to better understand what's going on, why am I stressed, and then what's how do I move forward? Because I can only sit in that, that stress place for so long. And then I have to take action. So then it was like, okay, what do I need to do to problem solve so that I can navigate the rest of my day? And I came to this feeling a lot less stressed than I was, you know, an hour before. <laughs> Thank God. That's your role model. <laughs> I'm going to go back to the B word, boundaries. I have That has helped me so much. And in just little ways, you know, personally and professionally, like blocking my calendar, committing to what I need to do for myself that allows me to show up for for everyone around me. You know, personally, professionally, um, you know, this morning I could not get out for physical activity. That is my outlet is working out and sweating as much as I can in any way, shape or form. But thanks to the rain, I couldn't do it. So lately I've been resorting to puzzles, which are the greatest mind break, especially if you do a thousand word, thousand piece puzzle. Those are one, the biggest challenge you'll have in your life. They are so hard. Don't want to know how many puzzles are on my floor, right? <laughs> but between those, that has really helped me. And I think really talking about your stressors with close friends or just the right people. I, it might not be a friend. It might be a therapist. might be a mentor, um, your partner, whoever that might be. I think it's so important to just get it out there and get support and advice that might help you navigate that or come to terms with it or just understand why it's impacting you. Those have been the biggest changers in how I've been dealing with with stress, especially over the last couple of years. Yes, big plus to all of those. I also, I hug my dog like that. I feel like my dog is like a huge stress reliever for me. I think it's just like I get there to pet her and she like makes me feel better about my life. Um, that's a big one for me. And I think, you know, I started recently meditating in the morning, which like the first thing before looking at the news and and I used to kind of like goth at that <laughs> until I tried it and did it and it it, it works. Um, it really works. I love that. It works. <laughs> the music thing is also really big for me. When I'm really stressed, I like have to put music in and I have to like step away from things. But the thing that I think about like when I'm dealing with my stress is my first reaction is actually to blame myself for my own stress. And so I'm also just trying to solve for that too, like not even just dealing with it, but also trying to like uncouple my blaming myself for it. But every time I like think about my stress, it's because I've overcommitted and broken my boundaries. And so like at, in the moment when I'm like super stressed, I have to like stop and acknowledge, like don't blame myself. But like now I need to learn from this because I can't say yes to everything. And then I put headphones on and usually I've been joking, but I've been like, rage writing things down where I'll just like for an hour block my calendars like rage do the thing I need to do but the problem is I wouldn't feel that rage if I had just done my boundaries correctly so I love how you mentioned boundaries somebody I saw a tip the other day it's like instead of a to-do list it's a don't list and it's like what are the things I'm not oh. gonna do today which I think is pretty cool and yeah. I'm gonna try it so, so I'm gonna yeah. start doing that my to-don't list I think I want to do that starting today. Amanda, the meditating, I, I'm not good at meditating. I just, that's my challenge. I'm trying like, but my way of doing that is I love sunrises and sunsets. So when I'm really stressed, getting up and being out 
you know, I live near Prospect Park in Brooklyn and just sitting and being around no one and it being quiet and watching the sunrise or the sunset, I can just be with my feelings and my thoughts and do semi-meditation. It's not exactly, it's my own form of meditation. And, and I think that's been really beneficial for me just to process and be part of nature and witness time go by and be sl- very, it slows down uh, when you watch the sunrise or sunset. And so I really appreciate just being able to be in the moment and know that like, it's okay to take that moment. This is good for my soul and who I am. And then I will be much more refreshed in, you know, whatever I do next. I think a lot of people mistake in meditation for just like laying there and being quiet and not moving. Um, but for me, it's through movement. Like as long as you're breathing and your mind is clear and that's meditation and it looks different for everyone. So my, my gym has like a station that is always boxing. So it's always five stations and one is always boxing. And when I tell you like on angry days, I like really... <laughs> I really get into the boxing. I like pretend I'm on like in Creed. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. I'm boxing. I'm, like, I'm just like punching back. Like sometimes I do get excited. But I think about that because like the quote from Legally Blonde where she's like, endorphins make you happy. I like tell myself that every morning when I'm like dreading going to the gym, I'll like put my sneakers on and literally say like endorphins make you happy. And the change I have afterwards from going to the gym is quite wild. So I am about the the physical too. Like the stillness, the balance of the still and the physical I think is like where I'm trying to be someday. I love this. Oh, we're in progress here. We're trying to, we're, we're constantly figuring out what works because what works what me not look the other day. Like I've got this lovely Peloton next to me. Sometimes I don't feel like going up it. <laughs> it's going to add more stress to my life. And do you get the emails? Do you get the emails? They're like, we miss you. I'm like, I don't need this. I don't need this. Don't, don't be doing this today. You're patronizing me. <laughs> I would like to unsubscribe from those. So I should probably figure that out. I think there's like so much helpful tips going on where people are sharing like what they do to make them happy. But I mean, like we're all dealing with stress in different ways and just find what works for you. Find what once you do it, you really feel like you've unloaded something off of your shoulders. The next question. I think there's an interesting conversation around like getting buy-in for a lot of these programs or something to help employees who are dealing with stress. I included this question in here because it's a struggle that a lot of HR professionals are having. How do I get my executive leadership team to put money or effort behind something that could improve well-being? So I wanted to ask y'all, what do you think? How do you get that buy-in? I feel the pain of all the HR pros because our budgets are the first to get slashed when anything happens in an organization. And we usually have to fight the hardest to defend anything we bring on board, especially well-being programs. It comes down to the data. It is so important, especially at a time where companies are reducing burn, slashing budgets, or even dismissing just the most obvious programs that your company needs. They want to see the ROI. Just encourage them to look at how it's going to move the business forward. It's so obvious to us, but we always have to remember it's not so obvious to executives, especially non-HR executives or leaders. And they're overseeing every aspect of the company. So you always just break it down for them and show them, you know, if you're seeing an increase of usage in your benefits in one area, how is this going to support that? Um, are you seeing increase of sick days month over month? Like, how is this proposed program going to support that? So I will preach data, data, data over and over again. Yep. And I think like connecting it to to performance, like as much as you can, right? Like looking at data around like performance of teams, if you can, as like, you know, looking at, like you said, Jamana, like PTO days and, you know, vacation days and how that correlates to performance. Um, I think just 
get as many data points as you possibly can. So I completely agree with that. I am a data person as well. So I I, I check on check that too. Uh, and thinking about the impact on retention, right? So like, it's not just the engagement, but the retention of those employees. When you lose an employee, because they are burnt out and they're just like, I can't do this anymore. That impacts the rest of your team and the rest of the organization. So realizing what that connection is to engagement, retention, being able to just call that out and how the organization meets their goals um, and their priorities. If you don't have the people, you're probably not going to meet your goals. So let's invest in the people first and make sure they're well enough and they feel they have the resources they need to help move the organization's mission or objectives forward. I love that I assembled my dream team of data people because data is my love language. And I think about that quite a bit. It's it's some of the work we do is often felt but not directly seen. But when you tie it back to things like retention, engagement, productivity, how are we going to achieve those goals? It all starts at the very beginning of supporting your employees, which is the baseline of all of the well-being programs we all want to do. Um, there's some good notes that people are bringing up about how you need to talk to like your healthcare providers too, because your healthcare will get more expensive. Like there's a lot of economic impacts to not supporting your employees. And I just always bring it full circle back to that. And like Amanda said, what's so instinctive to us, what makes sense so naturally to us is not what makes sense to like everyone else. And so coming at it with the data armed is going to be so powerful. Ugh. I just... We're starting the change. The change. It feels like it's starting. Okay, I'll stop. Um, now, now we're going to go to some live Q&A. So everyone is going to get a chance to drop some questions. And I'm going to pull those up. And we are going to take a look at them together and get some questions answered. Here we go. Question number one, the T. How can I give effective feedback to leadership about the way in which we communicate changes when it is often urgent stressful and chaotic i'm just grabbing startup one tip that i think is like a you know when giving feedback be as what would a camera see what did you see happen right what exactly happened and and taking any type of like personal feeling out of the feedback it's like what exactly did you see happen and what is the impact that i think alone takes the emotion out of it and creates less defensiveness because I think that's the biggest thing is people feel defensive when you're trying to give them feedback. Um, and so words like always or like things that are not clear words like that could be misinterpreted, like take those out. So thinking about how you structure your feedback and like what would what would a camera see and like taking out any words that could be misinterpreted. Those are kind of two of the tips that I've always given. I think it's important with leadership to come with recommendations. They always want to hear what they should be doing um, and what you consider. So to support that conversation, it, it doesn't help to just go with, you know, this is everything we did wrong or this is what it created, but supplement that with, this is what we could do that reduces this. So always come with those proposed changes or, or recommendations. And the only thing I would add to that is speaking from the I perspective, Instead of the generalizing, because you want to speak from your perspective, I felt this way or I this was the impact it had or the storytelling aspect of that, I think, adding storytelling to feedback in some way of like, this is the impact that it had to Amanda, your point. And it's like, this is what happened. And assuming good intentions, 
leaders aren't trying to make your life extra difficult. So giving some grace and just saying, I'm, I'm sharing this feedback from a place of care. So I think that's a, on the flip side, um, having leaders assume that the feedback is coming from a good place. Um, and then absolutely coming with, with a suggestion or, uh, you know, here's how I think that this could impact a change. So if we do it this way, here's a perceived change or the impact. And that can be vetted then with other people because it's just your one perspective, right? And so it's important for leaders to validate that across multiple individuals. I love that. Always the impact. People forget this so often, but if you tell some of the impact of your feedback is you create five fire drills and stress out all our employees and make us hate our days. I mean, probably in a nicer, more professional way then I think they'll they'll hear it. I think about this so often because like I have this new theory that we're all bad at communication because we've all just gone to the digital world where we slack things. There's no tone indication on Slack. We're DMing, we're tweeting, we're emailing. There's so many things going on that we all kind of have forgotten how to be effective in how we communicate something. And if you just stop someone and say, hey, here's the impact of what's happening and here's how I would do it, the suggestion I think is super powerful. I've had leaders ask me, can you rewrite this for me so that I can communicate it effectively? And so I work with them on showing them like what kind of rewrite I would do. So I do love that. Um, Next question. Are there resources to help your team find their stress releases if they don't know what to do? I'll just jump in here. Ask your team, like, what are they doing? First, I would just say, ask them, what are they doing to de-stress their lives? If their answer is nothing, You might want to ask them, like, what are your interests and how do we create time and space in the day for you to go do those things? And sharing with others, right? Like, I think peer learning, it's like, how do you get them talking to each other, right? Because everyone has ideas. You can't be the only one that is going to come up with the solution. I think that give that kind of work back to the people around you and um, let folks share with each other. I think a simple question of like, what do you need? Like, where can I help you? What do you need? Will actually bring to light anything that they're dealing with and help guide them and navigating that. So it really just comes down to asking them. Anything to add? Nope. Everything's perfect. Don't don't feel the need to add anything. I think asking is just it. (laughs) Mic drop like that. People don't ask so often. It honestly befuddles me how often my question is, did you ask this person that? And the person's like, no. I'm like, well, ask. You can see there's a great, yeah. There's a great, another tactic is to say like, well, what did they, what did the other person say? Like when you asked that, right? Instead of like saying, did you ask? It's like, well, what was their response when you, because like if they did not, that's like a, use that quote. That's a much nicer way to do that. Mine is just like, did you ask? (laughs) I'm going to start using like, what was their response? Because I think that's really helpful and people forget to ask. Um, oh, I love this question. Does your org have HR for HR? If your org does not, how do you deal with HR-related issues that impact you, the HR professional at your org? Most organizations do not have HR for HR, from my knowledge. Um, so I'll just say that. Um, the important part is just to remember that HR individuals are we're humans. We're like any other employee, so we need to hold ourselves to focusing on us too and using ourselves as an example of what everybody else is experiencing. Emma, you said earlier, we're stressed and we're trying to solve for everything for the whole organization. So that's that's making, if we just take a moment, it's like everybody else is maybe stressed right now, including me. I'm not different from anybody else. 
And I think just naming that is really important as a start. I have not seen many orgs that have HR for HR or even handle it well. I also, this is just me personally, me, Hiba, as a person, I'm just distrustful of people. So like I wouldn't probably go to my HR person and I am HR. And so someone mentioned in the comments, like they, their HR team acts as HR for ourselves. We call each other out when we see them working too much. We ask for help. We ask how to support each other. It's important to have an org leader that is that does this approach. So thank you to whoever called that out in the chat. Greatly appreciate it. Like, I think it's always been the same for me. Your HR team has to check on each other. And, and at the end of the day, I can't decouple this in my mind, but like we are the example for everyone else. And that already creates stress on me. But then I think to myself, like, I need to show up as like the best version of myself and make sure I'm taking care of me before I can take care of everyone else. Cool. Next question. Is anyone using metrics to measure employee wellness? If so, what are you using? Looking for ideas beyond engagement survey results and benefits utilization. Okay, so I'm really sad we don't have Yen here because Kona is a Slack integration tool. It kind of checks in with you using like a stoplight situation, red, yellow, green. And then over time, they can actually measure how the employees are feeling. And then there's a new AI integration that will actually chat answers back to your employees if they say they're super stressed. So I'm really sad Yen isn't here to mention this, but that is one tool I have heard of that I actually like the approach of the daily red, yellow, green check-in. And then over time, if your employees are consistently answering like red, that should tell you what their well-being is like. And that is not good. So um, it's called Kona, K-O-N-A. I'm obsessed and definitely appreciate Yen talking about it when we had our prep call. Also, I think in t- on top of the engagement surveys, having, I've seen in other organizations, uh, like a red, yellow, green, similar with PTO. Like what's the consistency of, that people are taking time off? And if we're not seeing that, then it's red. So like if no one's taking adequate time, that's a problem. And that's as a, to be a little bit more proactive at acknowledging that wellness could be a risk versus waiting until you see a huge turnover of staff because that everyone, you know, there's a burnout. So that's, I think, the proactive of checking on that PTO and, and making that top of mind on a consistent basis will help prevent some challenges on the back end. Piggybacking on that, Jackie, and then in Jomana, I think it's like, how do you create, how do you find the data points and like tell a story and make recommendations? So it's like it's the it's the PTO, but it's also the the productivity and like what what do you think is happening and what do you think you could do to impact that, right? Like, so it's like connecting all of these things and creating like a story from that, that data. That's another way to think about it. Yeah. I think we're seeing a really interesting shift in HR and HR tech specifically. The average HR team uses about nine systems, I think is the tech stack of an HR team. In the last three years, we have encountered unprecedented times from a pandemic to all the things we're witnessing happening in our world today, which are not great. And I think since then, since going remote and living through a pandemic and the repercussions of all the things we are all going to have to deal with and our trauma, there's been a focus on measuring wellness as an actual measure that we should care about as employers. And so I'm excited to see there are a lot of tools out there. I'm sure more tools are going to be born in the next few years to help us figure out how are we showing up and supporting our employees. And I'm excited about this conversation because it feels like historically 
we have been told that go to your go to your job, work your nine to five, don't bring your personal life into this. Like that's not the case anymore. And I think the new generations into the workplace are actually challenging that notion. So there's there's been some excitement there. But always just think about the metrics. PTO is a great one. Check out Kona. There's a bunch of other suggestions in the chat as well. Next question. We offer quarterly recharge for three days. Jealous. Expectation is for everyone to not work, but some people do. How do we get people to take this time off? I guess the question is also, are those forced three days for everyone at the same time? Which does bring the concern of like some people might not need those three days off. They might actually be at their best during those three days. Uh, So sometimes, you know, when it comes to like mental health days or recharge days, that flexibility piece is really important because not everyone needs the same thing. But if it is, you know, three days for the entire company at the same time, it really starts at the top by saying this not work when you give everyone three days off and, you know, you get on Slack and your leadership team is on or they're sending out emails or so it's ensuring that it's a culture that is supported at the top down if that's, you know, three days across the board for the entire company. Maybe three days isn't the right number. Try, like, I think experimenting is a great way to see if another option might work better for your organization. Just, I think that we, I think we shy away from like experimenting and trying new things. And I like to embrace that kind of mindset and try to get your leaders to as well. I'd add to getting, we talked about data, getting feedback after, does this actually work for you? Were the three days helpful? Often we will roll something out in HR and then assume that everybody benefited from it or move on to the next thing. Let's take a moment to get to understand, did this land the way we intended it to land um, for the employees? And again, asking, is there something else that would be more beneficial to you? Um, Again, I loved you're mentioning that not everything, like one size doesn't fit all. So being really flexible and asking to better assess what works for your organization, what works for one organization isn't going to necessarily work for another. So you really have to focus on that employee-led perspective. Absolutely. Or just lock everybody's computer for three days so that you can't watch yeah. them. That may scare them and feel like they've gotten laid off. So not the best idea, but you know, that's always- that. I think it's really interesting because I'm just like, if you want to work, you want to work. I can't help me help you. So if my version of helping you is giving you time off and you come to me and you're like, I'm going to continue working, then you do you, but you have no right to tell your team they also have to work. And that's like where this conversation could get really tricky and controversial is like, I would go to that. I would go to the people working and saying, you set the example for your team. So if you were going to behave this way and you were going to do work, your team is going to feel undue stress and pressure to behave the same. And we do not want that outcome. So if you are going to do work, you need to do it quietly and no one needs to know about it. That would kind of be my approach to it. Like, I can't stop you from working. Would I love to lock your computer? Probably. But like, should I? Maybe not. I just, I can't. Help me help you. Um, One last question and then we will go over a few other things. How do we facilitate these conversations about moving from reactive to proactive solutions in a role where I don't have access to senior leadership? Get allies, get people on your side and have them help you. You can't do it alone. Um, We can't do this work alone as HR leaders. And so go out and talk to people. That would be my advice. 
funny you say that. I'm actually reading a book called The The Bold Ones. Great book, by the way. Uh, but he talks about how your greatest ally in an organization is not the chief in command. It's the second in command. And how having a re- strong relationship and trust with them will support your access to senior leadership, which I thought was very powerful. So I totally agree. Having allies to on all levels, right? So it may not be a senior leader, but a middle manager, anybody else. And going from the employee-led perspective from the ground up, it doesn't always have to be the senior person. Um, and But knowing, especially having the allies that are comfortable who and have that access to senior leaders so they can help be your advocate, always having someone who's an advocate and who has the access to senior leaders is important too. I love that. I have nothing else to add. I'm going to read that book. I think just finding your allies is super crucial and getting those people to get buy-in. But I do want to chat a little bit. Thank you to my brilliant panelists for joining me today. With two minutes left, all of you that have stuck it out with us till the end, our next episode will be March 1st. And we're going to talk about feedback and well-being and the impact that feedback has on employee well-being which spoiler alert, I also put an article in my last newsletter send about how your manager impacts your mental health as much as a therapist and your partner. So just something to think about. And final takeaways, like thank you all for joining us today. We'll be back March 1st and we'll see you soon. And my panelists, y'all are the best. Thank you all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep up with all the latest HR resources by subscribing on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. And if you love I Hate It Here, tell an HR friend. I'll see you next time.